0: Hello everybody. Welcome into the college basketball dance. I hope you're enjoying your weekend. So far. whatever you are listening to this, I'm Nicholas Hodell. Dominic Stern is alongside me as usual. Dom, how's it going, my man?
1: I'm doing great, Nick. Seems like college basketball will be back in the end of November. I'm hyped. Uh, it's time. Sports times are getting a lot better as of late. We had to suffer those couple of months with nothing. But uh, ever since then, it's been fantastic. And it's going to get even better come November.
0: Yes, and that's exactly what our feature focus of this edition is on. We officially have a date, the countdown is on. November 25th is when this season will start, marking the Thanksgiving holiday weekend with its usual multi team events. But this year, taking on a lot more importance as the start of the season. The shifting of schedules is already happening as battles are starting to form and MTs moving locations. And... A lot of things have happened so far in the last two days, and that like invitation to move to Asheville, North Carolina, a paradise jam moving to Washington D.C., the Battle for Atlantis canceled, but the teams in that event might do something in South Dakota, but that will not be related to Atlantis. Numerous events have adjusted for to start on the 25th. Louisville is out of the MGM Resorts main event, but quote, the Coach Chris Mack tweeted about Louisville having their own bubble that will start on the 25th, lasting until the 5th. Duke may have their own event instead of being involved in that South Dakota bubble with some of the teams in the Battle for Atlanta event. And Holiday Hoopsgiving in Atlanta, that bubble in the middle of December, but Kentucky and Georgia Tech play on November 27th. And, you know, I could care less of where all this stuff happens. We're getting college basketball, it seems like. And that's the best thing. That's fantastic news, Don.
1: Yeah, that's the attitude. And I think that uh, what some of you mentioned, or some of what you mentioned is actually pretty cool. Cause like do schools really want to get to South Dakota for a basketball tournament? No, but if you can get some small schools to go play at Duke or Louisville, it could be good exposure for those programs. Uh, especially Louisville, you know, it's a big town, uh, middle of the country. I'm sure a lot of uh, schools can go there, get some good looks, and I'm sure that could be a beneficial experience for everyone. Obviously, not as cool as playing on national television in those huge MTEs, but you got to make of what uh, the situation gives you. And I think that those could be good solutions, but you're 100% right. All the matters is we're getting basketball back, and it's awesome. We were we ripped from March Madness. The NBA fans, they still got their playoffs. Uh, us with college basketball, we did not get the postseason really. And that was disappointing, but it's returning. It's all we can ask for.
0: Yeah, kind of jealous of those NBA fans. They actually did get their postseason. But, you know, when you mentioned about, you know, not playing the NTs and not getting a television exposure, I still think they'll get that exposure because I think that ESPN, Fox, they're going to be all over these bubbles, I think, trying to get their crews out to these bubbles. And, you know, we talked about Morgan Sun and what their plans were in a previous episode. They got about three different windows they're looking at. The West Coast Conference is like looking at Las Vegas, trying to get a bubble set up there. And it would seem ridiculous to me if the television exposure didn't eventually get into those bubbles, especially with, I mean, with Morgan Stanley. I mean, you got a lot of programs there that are big television draws. And I think that eventually the te- television is going to get there. I mean, there's no way that it doesn't in my mind. I mean, we've seen how... It could work in the NBA bubble. It's worked fantastic. And I just don't think there's any other way that if college basketballs get on TV with the bubbles and MTEs and Thanksgiving weekend, I think that's a complete failure because this is probably the most exciting time we've had as basketball fans for a while now, ever since everything got shut down. And I really think that we're going to see basketball on television for Thanksgiving. That's pretty obvious to me, and especially that first day. Well, we're going to see a ton of games in ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, like we normally do. And, I, I mean, this is probably my second favorite time of the year, the MTEs in November, next to March. And the fact that we're getting it to start the season off is extremely mouthwatering to me.
1: Right. And you mentioned the exposure. I think that they'll also benefit from the fact that if I'm – I believe I'm right in this case. The NBA won't be starting until late December. So they won't have to interfere with the start of the NBA season when NCAA basketball begins, and that's something they always have to deal with because generally speaking, there are a lot of NBA fans who choose to not watch college basketball during uh, men during the NBA season except for March Madness, and they won't have to deal with that at the beginning, and they'll be wanting basketball because the basketball season is going to be ending at some point in the near future, and then they're going to go a couple of months, and then what's going to come back first is college basketball, and I think college basketball could really market itself. At the beginning, without it, without NBA play, at the beginning, now they still will have to compete with football, both college and NFL. But it seems like there's going to be less of a competition at the beginning of the season that there would be normally.
0: Yeah, and and, and I mean, you you will see like the occasional finals get pretty good coverage, but you know, so many sports going on in a typical November. I mean, this is no typical November we're getting into, but. In a typical November, you have a lot of sports going on, sort of diluting that market for college basketball. And really that is one of the reasons why it doesn't really get as much attention until college football ends, because you get all these sports into one area of the calendar. And it, it does lead for a little bit of dilution, a little bit, for college basketball to be left behind compared to college football and the NFL. But without, storms, without the NBA until December or so, this is a perfect opportunity to market the sport after so many months of being absent. And I love it. I, I truly do. I think this is perfect that we're going to start the season with MTEs instead of Duke playing Stephen F. Austin or something major like that. Not that, not that there's not, no fun in those because we, we yeah, saw – was-
1: that was cool last year.
0: Yes, we saw a lot happen last November in, the, in December also in the way of mid-majors having their way. And that was great. I mean, does it happen all the time? No. And I think that's probably the reason why a lot of people kind of wait until the conference season starts to get in on the action and watching college basketball. Now that we're getting onto MTEs almost straight away, this is perfect to me. This is absolutely perfect to me in in the form of trying to get some traction to start the year. Sure, we'll probably still have the same lower numbers compared to the conference season. And sure, we'll probably have a lot of people, you know, trying to figure out who the teams are. But I still think this is going to be an extremely fun November and December in the non-conference bubbles. And, you know, over the coming months, we're going to get to find out who exactly is going to play who which mts that they group together for more future non-conference opportunities i think the next couple of months have the potential to be a lot of great news and to have to keep your ear and on the pulse pretty much all the time because there's going to be some pretty solid news almost every day i feel like coming from this bubble situation
1: oh absolutely and like i mentioned already there not to compete with NBA at the beginning. And then they're competing with a little bit less of, co- of uh, a football season with the later start time, because the football season will be closing in towards the end of the regular season at that point. So win-win for college basketball, obviously it was tough going from the middle of March all the way to the end of November. And we're still not even done with that. Uh, without college basketball, it's got to be one of the longest off periods in college basketball history. And, it, it's going to be worth it when it comes back, though. It's going to be an awesome season.
0: Yes, and we'll definitely have a lot of preview content to hold us over the next couple of months, and I know we'll have a lot of fun with that. And I think perhaps the first of that coming now is that anticipation reached a new level Thursday when the Blue Ribbon Yearbook Top 25 is officially released, and Gonzaga was named number one, marking their third straight top ten appearance in the preseason rankings. Philadelphia, Virginia and Tennessee rounding out the top five. But before we get into the top five, let's go into a conference-by-conference breakdown. The Big Ten and Big 12 tied to the top of the conferences with five teams each, followed by the ACC with four, and the SEC and Pac-12 getting three teams each. The Big East, the only other conference with multiple teams, with two. The West Coast Conference with Gonzaga, the A-10 with Richmond, the American Athletic Conference with Houston, each getting a team. So... For a conference-by-conference like conference breakdown, what's your first reaction to that, Dom?
1: I'm kind of shocked that Big East only has two teams. I mean, all of last year, they had several teams ranked inside the top 25 in Butler, Seton Hall, Creighton for a little bit, and Marquette with, uh, with Howard. And uh, they did have some key players leave throughout the conference to go to the NBA. But it was just shocking to see only two teams from such a power conference In all of college basketball, only have two teams. But, ready to mention, there were some key players within the conference that left. So, at the same time, it's not too surprising. But just just hearing the words, Big East has two teams ranked in the preseason top 25, just blows my mind.
0: Yeah, and obviously, a a magazine ranking as well. So, this could change a lot between now and an official AP release. But I do think this is pretty fair. You know, I think that Big East could become very muddled. As in, we're not exactly sure what's going to happen in that conference. until we really started getting into the thick of things week two, week three in conference play. And what we saw last year is that while the Big 12 was once again strong, almost from top to bottom, we saw a lot from the Big 10 last year. And we saw teams that had really good pieces. And I think that college was as strong as ever. ACC, typically pretty strong. Not too surprised there. SEC and Pac-12, you could say a lot, but when you're getting 14 teams and three conferences, eventually someone has to suffer. And Pac-12, hasn't; it's getting better, but three teams in the top 25 in the first big magazine ranking of the year, I think still that's pretty solid from them. SEC, you could say the same thing about Biggies. We'll get into that when the time comes in our season preview series, but – I probably don't think that's too surprising. And then, of course, the 18 and the American, they always seem to get one in there to start off. So I think that I think it's a pretty fair representation of where we're looking at to start off the year. Because, of course, Gonzaga is going to be in there. They've proven themselves as a top program, not just a bit major powerhouse. They've proven themselves as one of the best programs in the entire country. So I think them being ranked is pretty obvious at this point. Shout out to the West Coast Conference. You got one of the best programs in the entire country. And then the A-10, the the American, that's pretty much the goal at this point for them. Get that one team in there to start off, try to build on that. And so far, so good, I think, for those two conferences. Uh, And let's get now into the top five teams. We mentioned Gonzaga number one, Phil getting in there at number two, Baylor at third, Virginia and Tennessee to round out the top five. Five.
1: What do you make of that, Don? Well, it's interesting because Tennessee didn't really have a great year last year, uh, had a great 2018 season, but then Grant Williams, Jordan Pogue, and Admiral Schofield, their big three, all left. But then in the second half of last season towards conference play, Tennessee was trending upwards, and you definitely saw that there were some potential in the Tennessee volunteers. They're keeping just about everyone, so putting them in the top five, a lot of people might seem like a reach but i can definitely see where they're coming from it's really weird to not have kansas in here to me they they seemed like the team that was obviously going to win the national championship last year almost all the good teams uh peaked too early and were trending downwards once we got to march they were the opposite they just kept on winning and they did lose a lot of guys uh no more azabuki who was really their their main piece in the middle he kind of held that defense together. He was just a force to be reckoned with in the middle, and then the, the pick and roll, he was just a monster out there on the floor every time for Kansas. He's gone. They're going to have to find a way to produce those uh, quality minutes that he's leaving. I I can see why they left him out of the top five. It's just another one of those things where it's just weird, but when you look into it, it makes some sense.
0: Yeah, and for Tennessee, the reigning SEC defensive part of the year, obviously that's got an attract some sort of fame and a deep backport for them, I think that's a pretty fair ranking for them. And for Gonzaga, for them few, several years ago, in early in the 2010s, to be a team that could never see to just break through and reach that upper echelon to, all was, to suddenly breaking through their glass ceiling and getting to a Final Four late in the 2010s, they've done some incredible things and I think that for them, this is sort of the peak now to where you are number one in the first big top 25 ranking, obviously unofficial, but for this, is I mean, the Blue Ribbon Yearbook, they've been doing this for 40 years and it's, it's fantastic. I mean, I've gotten in the last couple of years and I'll be basing a lot of my stuff over the next several weeks or so off of that after I get a chance to dive deeply into that mixing out of academic classes. Good luck to me on that. But yeah. this is this is really good for Gonzaga. I mean, this they, they have really turned themselves into a national powerhouse from a mid major powerhouse that always seem to have really good teams. And I think that's very good for them. And I, really, I think the top five is uh, pretty dang fair. I mean, you can see a little bit of uproar of Baylor over Kansas. I mean, some of that probably will not sit too well with the Kansas faithful, but I just got to say this. I mean, Baylor and Kansas, they were in the top two for a while last year, not just in the Big 12, but in the entire country. And I think that battle was once again going to be extremely entertaining between those two teams. And Kansas just barely missing out on this top five. But I think as the season goes along, I think Kansas will try to prove themselves.
1: Yeah. Kansas, obviously led by Bill Self. They're always going to be good. And I wouldn't be surprised if they they certainly jumped into that top five early in the season with some strong performances. They're just one of those teams that you can never really count out, except for that one. Their one step back year back in twenty eighteen where they were a four seed and they just weren't really that good. They got bounced by Auburn, but uh, you know Kansas is one of the best programs in the country. All these teams up here, you got Gonzaga, Villanova, I mean Baylor starting to put themselves in that conversation with their performance in the last decade. Virginia they've been absolutely just great you know they're I guess they're technically still the reigning national champions uh but god that's that's weird to say they won their championship a year and a half ago and we're calling them the reigning national champs and then Tennessee they put together a couple of really good years in the past five years so this top I mean we're supposed to be talking about the top five but just looking at the top six that's that's really good
0: yes and I mean, it wouldn't be surprising to me if Kansas did break that top five in, a, in an official poll later on when the AP polls and the coaches' polls start to release. And speaking of Kansas, number six, uh, routing up the rest of the top 10 in the Blue Yearbook top 25 for this season. Wisconsin at number seven, Iowa eighth, Duke number nine, and Texas Tech routing up the top 10 to make the Big 12 three in the top 10 that's been, that seems to be the theme for the Big 12 the last two years. Top to bottom, fantastic. And according to Blue Ribbon, they've done it again this year, Dom.
1: Yeah, they, they've really asserted themselves as one of the top conferences in the nation. It's really been the Big 10, the ACC, and then the Big 12 right behind them. And a couple of good years out of the Big East, uh, Pac-12 and ACC, uh a little bit behind them in terms of conference rankings. But Big 12 – they keep showing up. They, they've they been carried by Kansas and possibly even Oklahoma for quite some time now, but Texas Tech is certainly an emerging program, and they're certainly helping the Big 12, and they're putting a lot of respect to their name.
0: And the guards changed a little bit, I feel like, because I feel like Oklahoma in the last years they have diminished, and we've seen proven like Baylor and Texas Tech sort of rise a little bit in the Big 12 conversation. I mean, Iowa State had one or two pretty solid years to where they're in the conversation amongst the better teams in the Big 12. And Kansas just seems to be that mainstay. And I think that just proves how much of a blue blood Kansas is and how well they do on a yearly basis recruiting the best in the country. It it really is a proving ground for Kansas that even in a very fluid Big 12 that always seems to have the best teams, Kansas is always there. And that to me is striking that that's the mark of an of a elite program for Kansas. that can still be there even if the conference continues to be as fluid as it has been over the last five, six years.
1: Right. And it's a little easier to stay up at the top of your respective division in terms of college sports than it is in professional sports because you are able to recruit players. And when you've established yourself as that program, you're able to go out and get the best players. That's why you see teams like Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, outside of that weird year last year just always remaining at the top. And that's not to discredit uh, anything that these programs have done. It's a little easier to do in college basketball. And Kansas just having uh, consistency at the top with Bill Self over the past years. And certainly helped themselves out. And I think you're going to really start to see that with Texas Tech as Chris Beard is really establishing himself as one of the best coaches in college, college basketball.
0: Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll get to the Big Ten teams in the top ten, Wisconsin and Iowa. Of course, the Big Ten is not one of those conferences that have been very fluid over the last several years with teams sort of shifting in and out of that top three or four and Wisconsin and Iowa for them, it's now their turn to be at the top of the first big top 25 of the year. What do you make of that?
1: I I, I can see it. I'm a big believer in Iowa this year. I think they have the best returning player in the country and Luka Garza. Uh, he one of the best scorers in the nation defensively he's still got some work to do we'll see if he worked on that over this extended offseason, i guess you could say uh he he has the ability to uh screen and then go to the hoop screen and then go to a three-point line and make a jumper he's just uh he's one of those rare players that can really do it all he's going to be playing in the nba at some point in his career and Hopefully college basketball fans get to appreciate the fact that he's coming back for one more year. And I think Iowa's got a really good chance at making some noise. I liked them this past year. Uh, they, they were probably not going to make a Final Four appearance or anything like that, but they're, they're certainly a talented team. And they're they're led by one of the best players in the nation. As for Wisconsin, they're just a really deep team. Uh, I think they're losing Ethan Happ to uh, he graduated, but they, they were playing seven, eight, nine, ten guys consistently through games. They won the Big Ten last year. So I think that they can also have another really solid year, possibly win the Big Ten again.
0: Yeah, and let's be clear about Iowa. That ranking is because of the good Garza long I think. I mean, if if, I, if they don't have Garza, I'm not sure if they crack the top 15 or top 20 in, in this blue ribbon ranking. I just don't think that's imaginable. And that, I think that really how much Luca Garza means to that Iowa team. I mean, we talk all the time that you have to have the right collection of experience and the right collection of talent to win in college basketball. And I think Iowa could be tested a little bit if Garza has a really good game and the rest of the team just kind of falters a little bit. I think that could be very much tested. And Garza, he has elevated that Iowa team to a whole new standard of excellence. And that is very well played for the Iowa Hawkeyes to have him come back. That's a big time for them to have one of the best players in the entire country coming back. And if it wasn't for, for Obi Toppin probably the national player of the year last year. And I think that's big for the Hawkeyes to have him back another season of excitement for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Moving into the 11 to 15 category, I know you love number 11, the Illinois Fighting Illini. I know you love them. They are just missed out on the top 10. We get the first Pac-12 entrant in this ranking of Oregon at number 12. Kentucky cracks in at number 13 with fellow SEC school Alabama at 14. And the second Big East entrant, Creighton, just making the top 15. And I know you love Illinois so I'll let you go ahead and take the floor with the fighting line out here.
1: Yeah I'm a big believer in Illinois Iwa Sobu and Kofi Coburn it is Coburn uh, they they're gonna be one of the best duos in the nation we'll, we'll see how incoming freshmen end up playing this season but I'm a big believer in Illinois they they really put themselves on the map last year with with their performance uh, they were at one point I think they were a top 15 team. And then the, the big 10 schedule got the best of them to a certain extent. They're hanging around towards the back end of the rankings. They're going to be a team. That's going to be tough to beat all year. When you've got two stud returning players on your team, you don't have to rely on one of them. You can assume that at least one of them is going to have a good game. And if both of them do, then it's going to be game over. I He was one of the best players in the nation. He was hurt for a bit. And when he was hurt that they kind of struggled, showed his importance. They're going to need both uh, DeSomu and Coburn to have big years. And if they do, they're honestly a national contender.
0: They really are. And, you know, you have to have the duos and trios with role players to be able to have success in college basketball. I mean, this is not like the NBA, where one or two guys can completely take over and just lead you across that finish line. It's not like that in college basketball. And arguably, it hardly ever has been. And Illinois, they have the right sort of ingredients to make that happen. And if it wasn't for those two returning players, again, they're in a similar situation like Iowa to where they would be nowhere near. That's how much those two guys mean to the fighting Illini. And it was just great to see the excitement back in Illinois. You, you watch a lot of these games and last season. The excitement is really there. I mean, this is incredible to from Illinois and Iowa, too, to see some of these programs, you know, have a couple of great years and have that excitement around campus. That's what college basketball is about. You know, if you're able to get a really good team, you'll get that excitement around campus, get your fans buzzing, your alumni, your students. That's what this is about. And Illinois and Iowa, too, they've done that. Uh, I want to shift over to the SEC entrance here this. Were Kentucky and Alabama, Kentucky every year, it seems that they're always sort of shifting roster pieces. Uh, Alabama in here as well. I think that's very well played for Alabama to uh, be in this top 15.
1: I'm going to be completely honest. I don't really know much. I don't really know much about Alabama. Uh, I'm just going to trust them uh, that they know what they're doing and putting them at 14, but I'll speak on Kentucky's consistency. The fact that John Calipari brings in new players every single year and he's able to compete every single year is incredible. They started slow last year, and that happens uh, quite often when he has a bunch of young players. But once you saw those players really connecting last year, especially with Emmanuel Quigley, once he got going, the Kentucky team was really good, and they can find players similar to that this year. Once those freshmen get going, they're amongst the best players in the nation, especially the most talented players in the nation. It's just when they really figure out that Kentucky identity, they are so good, and they are so tough to beat, and they run the SEC almost every year, and they, they could easily do it again this year if they figure it out.
0: Yeah, I think that's Coach Cal's greatest challenge every year to where you have a great collection of talent, and a lot of them are usually one and done. You just have to find a way to coach to make the players gel together as a team. And when you have so many one-and-done prospects, that's always very challenging as a coach. And besides a lot of these coaches to where they have to kind of rebuild and you know, get used to new pieces after having a bunch of seniors leave, I think Coach Kyle is one of the toughest jobs in all of college basketball. Take a collection of young players, try to mold them together into a team, and then go out and play great basketball. And at times last year, we saw that broken a little bit. I mean, look at what, what Evansville did of all schools. I mean, they were able to just completely shock Kentucky on their home floor, nonetheless. And that is extremely difficult to do. And I think that that's what, that is what can happen if, one, you have an off night in college basketball. But two, if you just don't get the pieces shelled up together very well. And eventually, he did get it improved. And I think that was definitely sort of an early season fluke on both sides. But, yeah. I mean, if you don't get together straight away this season, you might have a problem in your hands because you don't, you're not going to have too many cupcake games this season. Not with these bubbles and surely not with the way things are going down this year. I mean, it's pretty much a lot guarantee they're going to be against Georgia Tech. We have no idea what's going to happen from there. And you, you're not going to be able to rely on those cupcake games to get you by. It's not going to happen this season. Not with the bubbles not during COVID. And so I think Coach Cal has an even tougher job in his hands if he wants to avoid a repeat of what happened last season in that fluke against Evansville. You have to get it together from game one. That's what I'm going to say about Kentucky. For Alabama, a top 15 recruiting class, and their coach has already signed a lot of improvement. I think that really tells the story of what Alabama could be this year. You know, get those pieces, Joe, in with the rest of your team. And you already have quite the amount of talent there in Tuscaloosa to make some noise in the SEC. I think that that is definitely an area to where Alabama can excel and be second or third in the SEC behind either Tennessee or Kentucky or even both of them. And I, I really do think that they are going to be in for some of a challenge because obviously some of these – especially the seniors that are on the scene that have been there. Sure, they're a little used, used to some of the expectations from coming off of last season. But other than that, I still think they have a lot of learning to do about what do you do when you are expected to win a lot of games. And if you're not used to that, you could crack under that pressure pretty easily. And so I'll be looking to see what Alabama does there. And then Creighton, the, the second Big East entrant here, Creighton, they've been very – very good since going to the Big East, and you know they they have had guys like Tyson Alexander. I'll be interested to see what they could put up this year. As seemingly a clear second in the Big East in the projections,
1: right? They're, they were just a well-balanced team last year. They were able to put up a ton of points on any given night. If they can find a way to replicate that season uh, this year, they're going to be a scary team, especially in what seems like it's going to be a weaker Big East. They could be a potential top 10 team going into March Madness
0: yes and very much so I mean someone's going to rise from the middle mid-pack packet of big ease I think that it's eventually going to happen but you know if, if not so no create have a great shot to really improve their standing when it comes time to decide on brackets writing uh, out this top 25 the 16 to 25 range UCLA, and they at 16, North Carolina trying to bounce back at 17 and Florida State, a team that did have a lot of success in the ACC last year at 18. Michigan State 19th, West Virginia 20th, Ohio State 21, the Atlanta 10s third entrance Richmond at 22, Texas making their way in there at 23rd, Arizona State with their guards at 24, and then Houston rounding it out. Are you surprised at any one of those teams
1: uh, that are in that 16 to 25 range? Uh, there There's some really weird teams up here. North Carolina and West Virginia were so bad last year that for me, it's tough to put them in the top 25. I don't care what their, reclu- what their recruiting class was and what their, their, their track record says. When you're so bad last year and you have to carry that over and all the headlines are talking about, man, this team sucked last year it's tough to put them in the top 25 because there are some good teams that are left off of this list. Uh, obviously, North Carolina, as one of the best coaches in the nation, they're always going to recruit well. But it's just tough to see them, especially West Virginia, uh, once once they, they lost everyone the year before, they, they struggled mightily last year. They, they beat a couple of good teams at the beginning of the season, and then Big 12 play came around, and they were just awful. It was, it was tough to watch because they're a team that – never really puts up points. And last year was that to the extreme. It's tough to put them up there. Uh, Richmond, you got to give credit to them. An A 10 team in here. Go Spiders. Uh, Texas, they they, they were also one of those teams that was peaking at the right time last year. And Shaka Smart is unarguably, he, he showed last year that he is a good coach. He's not the coach that we saw in the beginning of his Texas Ten tenure. It, it's taking time for him to set that that culture at Texas. It seemed like they were finally getting that playing tough basketball in the big 12. They're another team that could really shock people this year. I'm a big believer in Texas. And then we of course got to talk about Arizona state. I think they're going to be a really good team this year. Uh, Getting the first top 10 recruit uh, in Josh Richardson, he's going to be an elite player. I truly believe that. And then getting Remy Martin back along with Alonzo verge, they're going to have a really dynamic team, especially with guards. And they're going to be a tough team to, uh, to game plan for because you have so many guys you're going to have to account for on defense. And they're another team that plays well defensively too, uh, with Remy Martin and even Jalen House coming off the bench. They're going to give you tough minutes, and you're going to have to work to beat them. And we saw at the end of the year when they cracked out that seven-game winning streak, including that win over Oregon and those wins over Arizona. They're going to be a tough team to beat. And – they're another one of those teams that could really shock people. A lot of returning players, a lot of people do like that when picking teams. The question is, can the bigs step up?
0: Yeah, I'll say this. North Carolina, I think they had a fluke season last year. I mean, I mean it was sh- shocking that they struggled as much as they did, especially with Cole Anthony. But I think, again, that just proves that you cannot just have one guy in college basketball. And expect him to carry every single game because it is not possible in college basketball to have one guy. You have to have at the very minimum two. Very ideal to have three such guys to become a national contender. I think North Carolina will improve very much. The show that West Virginia had it shows you how much the standard is in the Big Twelve. You have to be extremely good in the Big Twelve to even be second or third. That, that's the type of top-to-bottom standard that the Big chokes had in the last three, four, five seasons to where they're just throwing top-to-bottom. And if you get caught out, you're going to get caught out bad. And that is what happened to West Virginia, I do think. Texas, you could say, a similar thing, but this 23rd in the nation in this blue and Poll. is still fifth in the Big 12, still in the middle of the conference. And even then, they might struggle a bit if they can't beat the other four teams in this Blue Ribbon they're going to struggle. And it just shows you how much this standard is in, the, in a 10-team conference for five to be in the pre-season top 25 in the Blue yearbook. That's a big standard. It's a, it's a huge standard for any conference. And it's extremely impressive for the Big 12 to be doing this year in and year out, topping the Ken Palm Conference strength standings. And they, they, they've really... That's a top to bottom in the Big 12. Uh, Arizona State, their guards are fantastic. It's a, it's a matter of what are they going to be able to do in conference season. We saw a few years ago when Arizona State had an incredible non-conference season, but all the way up to third in the country. And then they almost completely blew it in Pac-12 play. Struggled, barely got to the NCAA tournament because they're non conference slate. I am really interested to see what they can do. You know, you have the expectation now of being a top team. You cannot just come out of nowhere for non-conference and expect to be third now. You're going to have to prove it. And if your majority of games are not earned in the Pac-12, you're going to have to bring it. Because if the Pac-12 figures you out like they did a few years ago, this is going to be trouble. And I think that they're going to have to adapt. And they're going to have to really not do what they did a couple of years ago. They're going to have to perform well in the Pac-12 play to get into the NCAA tournament. That's my biggest worry at VSU. They have the talent, the guards. They, they have it. They really do. With the recruits and the returners. They have it. Can you actually put it to the proof? Can you actually sustain excellence and not completely just wipe out the Pac-12? Last year, different story. Very, very well done. Two years ago, not exactly the case. And this could be a year, like two years ago, if one, they get figured out with with their game plan and opposing defense trying to come up with different schemes. And two, I mean, I don't know. It's exciting and worrying at the same time because you have proof they can completely not do well in Pac-12. You have proof they can compete for the Pac-12 title in a lot of scenarios. There's a lot of different things going on of Arizona State, and I really think that we're going to have to wait and see on them. A lot of talents there. Can they perform well in Pac-12 with the expectation of what, of having to perform well? That's the big question there.
1: Yeah, and the fact that they actually have an expectation this year is something they really haven't had in previous years. It's also like so weird to see them ranked above Arizona in the preseason because Arizona was a blue blood for college basketball for such a long time. And the whole FBI thing with Sean Miller and him just really not being a great coach is it, it starting to hurt that program. And I think this could honestly be his last year and the program, especially if they struggle like how they did last year in Pac-12 play. I mean, them blowing the 23-point lead to ASU was – it was hard to watch, honestly, even though we were sitting down there in the student section – we are having a great time. It was tough to watch as a college basketball fan. You're like, man, where where does Arizona go from here? Because they should really be up near the top 10, top 15, but you don't even see them on this list. And we, we've already mentioned this is unofficial. It's preseason. Uh, but, man, where does Arizona go from here?
0: Yeah, I mean, first off, that was a big Yanks moment for, for Tucson and a big excitement moment for Tempe. You have yeah. to say that, but... You know, that is another good point you make. And when the Blue Ringer book eventually does come out in the coming weeks on digital platforms and in October on print, I, I will be interested to see where Arizona falls in the uh, conference um, breakdown. That, that'll be a very interesting moment there to kind of try and get a sense of where Arizona might be. Because as much improved as the Pac-12 is, There's always a sense of what the Pac-12 is going through with COVID. Yes, there's going to be a vote coming up very soon. And hopefully it'll be officially okay to get things going before January 1. But if it does, that's great for the Pac-12. I think a team of Arizona, they can try to work their way up there. If not, if it is only conference, like we mentioned in our last episode, we're going to have a lot of problems with that. Uh, finally, I just want to get your overall thoughts on this top 25. Do you think this could be similar to what we see in the AP poll that will come in the coming weeks down the road? It's,
1: it seems pretty reasonable. And like I said, there there are some teams where I'm like, okay, I, I, I don't see this really at all, especially with West Virginia. Uh, I think we'll definitely see some shakeups, especially where teams are ranked. But I think for the most part, most of these teams you're going to be seeing in the AP poll at the start and for the majority of the year, obviously there will be shakeups, That's just how college sports work. That's why we all love college sports, because there's so much uncertainty in the year. You sit down and you have no idea what's going to happen. You can have a general idea, but oftentimes that's wrong. And I'm stoked for this upcoming season. Just seeing a list of top 25 teams, and it's not just about recruiting, is awesome, and it, there are lighter days ahead.
0: I mean, there really are. You know, I think this is this, this is fair to me. I think North Carolina, based on last year, you could say that perhaps they don't deserve to be up there. But I think that they will get into the lower portion of the of the AP poll. You could say you want about West Virginia, and I do think when it does come into the bottom five, I think you'll see some other teams in there on the AP poll, and another team sort of take a back step. Uh, I mean, you could say all you want about about that portion of it. The top portion of it seems fair to me. It, it really does. I think that, that top 10 is probably going to be very similar to what we see when the AP poll does come out in the, in the, in the hopefully near future. I think that's going to be very similar. Bottom half of the poll, we'll see. I mean, obviously anything can happen on that portion of it, but overall, very fair. From a conference breakout perspective, extremely fair. I think what we what we, when we showed the conference breakdown graphic for the beginning of the program, I think that is going to be very similar to how this all breaks out in March. I think this will be very similar to what, what we sort of see when the NCAA tournament bracket does come out. I, I think it's very fair from the college breakdown perspective, very fair from the top 25 perspective. I right, thank you once again, Doc, for coming on. This has been the College Basketball Analyst for Dominic's next term. I'm Nicholas Hodia, wishing you a very good day, night, weekend, whenever you're listening, wherever you're listening from. Have a good one, folks.